St. Leo 360, a 360 degree overview of the St. Leo University community. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the St. Leo 360 podcast. This is your host, Greg Lindbergh. Here on this episode, we are highlighting the influential Women of Social Work event, which was held back in March at St. Leo University's Tampa Education Center, as well as online. This particular event was held in recognition of both Social Work Month as well as Women's History Month. And the keynote speaker for this event was Dr. Yarnesia Dyson, who is a highly accomplished social work professor at the University of North Carolina Greensboro in the Department of Social Work and Gerontology program there. So we're going to hear a presentation now from Dr. Dyson, followed by a list of the award winners uh, who were recognized at this event. And then we shall conclude with an overview of the undergraduate social work program here at St. Leo University. So let's go ahead and turn things over to Dr. Yarnesia Dyson. And so um, without further ado, once again, I want to acknowledge that today is Happy International Women's Day. And this year's theme is Break the Biases and focusing on the importance of gender equality in all things that we do, because we understand that we wouldn't have social development if it were not for the women that were also lifting in the backgrounds and the foregrounds. And during our time together today, I'm going to um, go over acknowledgements as well as my identities and why identities matter, social work as a profession, and then social work as hard work, not necessarily hard work, followed by why mentoring matters, finding your why. And I'm going to end um, with lifting as you climb and why that has been something that's been very, very important to me. And I'm hoping that you are able to take away those nuggets too. And I will have final thoughts that I will leave to um, share with you all. And so before we begin, I want to acknowledge Miss Yvonne Kelly Montel, the Associate Director of Admissions, as well as Dr. Ebony Perez, and the entire Department of Social Work at St. Leo University, Dean Susan Kinshella, thank you so much for this opportunity as well. And Dr. Chuck Wilson for your generosity and the scholarships that are being provided to four students today. I would also like to acknowledge the National Association of Social Workers Nature Coast chapter, as well as my own influential village of women, both here and the ancestors that watch over me. And many of them were on the screen. And I also wanted to acknowledge um, Thera J. Edwards, as well as Ruby Gordine, who just recently transitioned. In addition to Mitt Joyner, Dr. Sandra Starks, um, Halevali Wakalehi, Dr. Karen Bullock, Shanavia Hatcher, Dr. Margaret Count Spriggs, Dr. Sharita Davis, so many people that are the reasons that I am here today speaking to each of you. And so my influential woman for today is Bell Hooks. And I want to frame this presentation by sharing what we do is more important than what we say or what we say we believe. And so I'll repeat that again. What we do is more important than what we say or what we say believe, what we, what we say we believe. And so always remember your truths are demonstrated in your actions and think about your actions and the social profession and things that you may want to do and how that might advance things forward as well as how important that is. Do our actions match up with our words? 
when we look at our mentors and other influences, do their actions match up with their words? And so I want to frame our presentation that way. And so my identities, we've heard a good bit of them um, through the introductions. And so I also wanted to um, acknowledge that I'm a daughter and a wife, a mother and a friend. And in addition to being a homegrown Florida girl, <laughs> I'm also a first-generation college student. And I have the um, different years of practice experience, both um, during practice and in academia. And I am truly a believer of equity and inclusion and inclusive excellence. I think that everyone should feel like they belong in every space. And so I'm truly a proponent of shaking rooms and taking up space. I'm a thought leader and higher education strategist, but I'm also an innovative partner. And I believe that it's important for us to partner with people when our spirits and souls align, but also in ways in which we can tread new paths and territories. In addition, I'm a social behavioral scientist, but one of the biggest things and one of my most proud accomplishments is that I am one of your biggest fans. I truly believe that it's so important to connect with people. And anytime we interact with someone, people should always leave better than when we met them. So if you interact with anyone that comes in your presence or you come in their presence, it should be even better once you're leaving because we wanna always have positive interactions. I will also speak about um, what it means when the interactions may not necessarily be so positive and the importance of us finding our why and knowing when things no longer serve us. And that's going to be important in social work education or social work practice or social work policy to know when things no longer serve you that it's okay to choose yourself and your family. So I'm gonna scan that ever so often just to make sure I'm able to answer them and in vivo. So I shared all those things about my identity and we see things from family, we see things from the um, educational experience, the practice experience, but one thing that's important when we think about our identities and why they matter is what do we bring when we enter rooms? And you think about your identities are, this, are not necessarily the whole sum of who you are because behind all of those identities and things that I listed, truly, what do I bring when I enter the room? What are those things that you all could not see beyond what you might see right now on the screen? as well as what you may see on my beta or what someone may say about me. And then I want you all to think about it. What is the first thing that you notice when you enter a room? I know whenever I enter a room, I'm, I'm automatically looking for other people that look like me. When I enter a room, I also look at how people are sitting, how they may be standing, what they may have, if they're eating something, if they're drinking something. And likewise, what do you think is the first thing that people notice about you when you enter a room? These questions or thoughts are so important because these are how we bridge connections with each other. You want to look at who, when we enter rooms, what we notice about people and how we get closer to people. When you enter rooms, do you see people that you naturally gravitate towards or do people naturally gravitate towards you for some reasons? Bridging connections is going to be so important in your social work practice. It also helps and contributes to your overall health and wellness, because as you're doing your social work education and finishing your degrees and going on and obtaining impactful positions, if you do not have connections that are bridged in your work environments, you have to think about how is that going to contribute to your grounding and your balance? Are you going to jump up every day and say, I'm ready to go to work? Or is it going to be, oh my goodness, 
I have to go to that place today. And one thing I want to encourage each of you to remember is that it's so important to bridge connections and to be in environments, workspaces, professions that you feel that you're truly able to give to and that also gives back to you because reciprocity is truly key. When we think about social work as a profession, we know that there are levels of practice. And so those levels, of course, are the micro level, you know, working with individuals, um, the mezzo level, working with small groups. Sometimes people say families are included in mezzo. I believe anytime you're working with an individual, you're automatically working with family too. So that can also kind of coast in the micro side. And then you also have the macro level of practice and that's your larger policies, structures, organizations, um, other ways in which you will be able to intervene. When you think about the levels of practice as social work um, from a professional aspect, anytime you're thinking about these things, you think about the culture and the communities that you're going to serve. So depending on a person's culture or community, if you're interacting with them individually, you're gonna automatically interact with their family, their community, um, whomever they identify as those people that are uh, closest to them, their social supports. When you're thinking and considering social work as a profession, it's important to understand that this is one of the most flexible professions that there is. One moment you're able to say, you know what, today or this year, I want to be a school social worker, and you may pursue the requirements to be school social workers. And in that position, you're able to coast from a school social worker going over to being a macro social worker in terms of being the administrator or the supervisor or the leader. And in social work, because you have this degree that is training you from generalist practice where you're able to work across all levels, you're also able to say, I'll switch gears and I'll move on into um, services serving people that are without homes, or if you want to add a public health aspect to it. Many times people think social work and they think it's a person that's going to only work for DCF here in Florida, or this is a person that has to be licensed. But many of my closest friends that identify as social workers do not have licensure, and they've never ever worked with clients because their focuses were always macro oriented. They've wanted to be the grant writers or the policy advocates or the policy analysts. And so I want all of you to be encouraged that in social work, you're able to be flexible and do different things. Social work as a profession is always so flexible that you can also create your own space. Who says that it has to be certain job requirements or specifications to look like um, A, B, or C? This degree and this program is so flexible, you may want to be the social worker that works in horticulture that also bridges um, equestrian um, works with it. You may want to be a therapist who serves children at a ranch with horses that's also doing gardening. Social work is such a flexible profession. And so it's important for each of you to know you can always do anything that you want to do when you have that support and that growth. That growth comes from bridging those connections, understanding who your influences are and mentoring matters. And of course, I'm gonna mention that soon, but it's also important to understand that we can have what we can say we can have. So if you can say it, you can have it. And, and lastly, on this slide, I wanna talk about the dream job from social work as a perspective. 
what is your dream job? What is something that you can get up and do every day and not feel like it's work? And that leads me to my next slide, that social work is hard work. Oftentimes we'll hear social work is hard work. You know, who wants to get up every day and go do hard work? Who wants to get up every day and sludge their way to campus or sludge their way to the office building or sludge their way to school? But social work is truly hard work. And when I say that it's hard work, it's because it takes hard work to want to help people genuinely and have that energy and drive that when you see people meeting their goals and they're achieving their successes, that it's hard work, not necessarily hard work. Social work knows and hard work knows that it'll take the hard work when there are those not so nice times that happens because we know, and especially looking at the last three years here, Every day is not unicorns and glitter. There are some hard days that may be ahead. And, you know, life has that ebb and flow with it. But heart work says, I'll get through this day understanding that surely as I'm in this ebb and flow, I'm going to flow up and onward. It'll take heart work to help us also understand that what no longer serves us. Heart work helps us stay true to who we are. And heart work helps us remember the importance of caring for ourselves and not necessarily focusing only individually, but heart work means that our social supports in our village and our mentors will also remind us, take care of yourself first because before you can pour into other people and before you're able to serve these different organizations and these different communities, you have to be happy and balanced yourself. It is truly, truly, truly hard work. Anytime you're in any job or position, and if it's feeling like hard work, then I want you to challenge yourself to think about what will make this hard work and not necessarily hard work. Okay, and hard and not necessarily think that it shouldn't be challenging work because we know that we grow through challenges and we grow through the strengths and the different adversities because that's a, that's a moment and opportunity to overcome something and achieve something. But we also understand that we don't, we never want to be or advocate for people to be in situations where it's hard work. So hard work truly brings us through. Hard work will transcend all levels of practice and social locations. So if you are a micro level social worker, if you're doing macro practice, if you're in the public health aspect, it's always hard work that's going to be connected in each of those environments. And hard work is truly what helps us um, get up every day and to be successful at what we're able to do. And likewise, hard work also um, assists us with surrounding ourselves with mentors and friends and family that will have those heart-to-heart -heart conversations about balance and well-being. This also means that you'll also have people pouring into you from a mentoring aspect that will say, you've done this for such and such amount of time. What do you think about A or what do you think about B? Mentoring truly, truly matters. And so when I think about mentoring, there are two different mentoring styles I talk about. Uh, the formal mentoring, which is where someone may partner you with someone and say, this is your mentor. You're supposed to work together. I expect you to work together. And then there's that informal mentoring. 
And with all of the accomplishments that I've had, with everything that you all have heard about me, with everything that I've been able to do in my uh, short time here on this side of things, about 80 to 85% of my mentoring has been informal mentoring, where I've went up to people and said, I like what you're doing. Would you mentor me? <laughs> you all may remember this cartoon. I think it was a WB cartoon and I might be dating myself, but there was this little character that will say, you know, will you be my mother or will you help me? But I've been the one to say, will you be my mentor? You know, can we connect? And the informal mentoring happens, whether it's um, at a conference or it's um, at an event such as this, where I've heard a speaker and I just thought that this person was so dynamic. They were, you know, they have experiences that I've wanted to have. And so I may have reached out to them and asked them, can we have a conversation? And would you be my mentor? I want to encourage each of you that are watching me right now and listening to this talk, um, if you catch the replay, to challenge yourself if there is someone that you would love to connect to, if there is someone that is in a position or they're doing things that you could see or aspire yourself to do, to reach out to them and to formulate those informal mentoring relationships. The informal mentoring subs subsequently becomes the formal mentoring, if you will, but it's still mentoring nonetheless. And then there's also the peer mentoring where you can also support and lift and encourage each other because each of you may be connected to other mentors. And when you come back together and you share the information with each other about this is what I learned from Miss So-and-so or Mr. So-and-so or they so-and-so, you're able to continue to pull all of your resources together in order to strategize things. Think about someone that might be in your dream job that I spoke about earlier and pull their resume or their CV and look at the different items that they've been able to do. One of the reasons I've been able to accomplish certain things that I've done as well as mobilize things forward is that I looked at the mentors of people that I aspire to be and I lined up opportunities for me to do so. Likewise, whenever I'm able to connect with other scholars and other students and my students that I currently have the pleasure of serving, I always want to make sure that I'm tapping into and bringing them along. If you look at anything that I've been able to do, I'm always doing it in concert with other people. So it's never an individual effort. And you know that there's strength in numbers and we can do so much more when we are together because we're better together than just apart, right? And so it's important to know that as you pursue social work as your passion, finding your why, it connects you back to your um, mentoring networks, whether they're formal or informal. It connects you back to those direct experiences that brought you to social work. Some of us have direct experiences that we might have experienced. It's been that notion of being the wounded healer where I've gone through certain things and now I want to help others because I had someone that helped me. Those are the direct. And then those indirect experiences where you may not necessarily have gone through something yourself directly, but you witnessed someone else going through certain things. And so you wanted to be the one to bring about the change. Finding your why helps you navigate and become that social worker, whether it's individual level social work or that macro social worker, that educator, 
or if it helps you um, create your own path so that it looks the way you want it to look. We don't necessarily have to do things that are prescribed because someone else did them. I want each of you to be totally encouraged that you can blaze your own trail and create your own path based on how you want things to look and what will bring you heart work. I always go back to the heart work. So I, um, so when I think about mentoring, I put, I found this neat little picture where it's me and then it's you and then it's us. And this Venn diagram um, portrayal here, it shows you in the middle, your mentoring converges when you have someone else and yourself and you're bringing things together. There's always this overlap that occurs um, with, through mentoring. When you think about hard work in order to achieve the hard work and the balance, it comes from mentors. So it may come from someone also having hard conversations with you, which equals the accountability that all of us need. Accountability is so important because accountability keeps us consistent with our commitments to ourselves, our family, and the community. And one of the most important things that we have to do is leave this place better than when we came to this place. There are so many different areas and opportunities for social work to advance these things. As we look at this is March, it's Women's History Month, it's Social Work Month. Today is International Women's um, Day, History Day. It's so many different opportunities in order for us to advance things forward. And we also must understand the importance of finding our why to do that and how our why is connected to heart work and how the heart work is connected to who we are and the identities that we bring to the table. It's connected to, even if we've had those direct um, experiences that might not have felt very, very well, understanding that we overcome to move forward in order to create healthy and balanced lives. One of my many mantras that Dr. Perez also mentioned during the introduction was the lift as you climb. I am a firm believer of lifting as you climb. I believe that Sankofa is a gift. If you look at this, um, this diagram of the Sankofa bird, this bird re reflects the present and moving forward. So this bird is flying forward, but you'll notice that the head is turned back, which means that we return and we get it. Sankofa embodies not forgetting where you come from, but also understanding where you are headed to and reaching back and bringing things along and other people along. Some people think that this, this little circle is just a dot if they're not looking, they're just kind of, you know, prematurely looking at this diagram, but that dot is actually an egg and the egg represents the future. And so it's not, so, so, so sorry, Sankofa is remembering where you're going, remembering where you've come from, but also understanding how the future impacts that. Lift as you climb means that you will bring others along. You will give back to what has been given to you. You will pour into other people that might be coming along outside you or along after you. But it means that we continue to ensure a pipeline of other heart workers in society. We need more heart workers that are doing social work. The time is now. We need more heart workers that are in different levels of um, practice, micro, meso, and macro practice, and different organizations and communities. We need that. 
And we also need additional people that are willing to mentor to pour it along. And so this is kind of like a pay it forward, if you will, when you lift as you climb, because as you're lifting others, you acknowledge that you stand on the soldiers of giants. We stand on the soldiers of Dorothy Height and Mary Church Terrell. We stand on their soldiers. Today, we stand on the soldiers, we stand on the shoulders of all of those people that are um, in the acknowledgements that I mentioned. And likewise, those of you that are sitting here, as well as those that are joining virtually, we stand on other shoulders to even be able to be here with this access. And likewise, it'll be up to us to ensure that this pipeline moves forward, that we continue to bring others along through different influences and mentoring and supporting each other. And with that, I want to leave room for different questions and dialogue in an intimate setting. So I wanna have, leave these final thoughts with you. And these are the four agreements by uh, Miguel Ruiz. Some of you may have heard of the four agreements. They can apply to your professional lives as you um, create and navigate your spaces as social work students or social work faculty or faculty in any other disciplines. But in addition to the professional aspect, the four agreements also apply to your, per your personal lives. And the first agreement is to be impeccable with your word. It means that when we're impeccable with our words, we speak with integrity and we say what we mean. And so that means that we avoid using words to speak against us. I can't pass this test or I can't do this type of work or they won't allow me to do these things, but being impeccable with our words and we're using our words to speak truth and power to what we want to do and where we wanna go. A few minutes ago, I told you all that if you can say it, you can have it. So if you say you want something, I want you to write it down and every day, repeat it three, four, five times a day, and you will see that it will come into fruition. For those of you that know some different words, I think I, I, I'm often reflecting on this word that talks about um, to write a vision and make it plain upon tables. If you can say it, you can have it because if you say it and you write it down and you speak it and mull over it, being impeccable with your word through Habakkuk 2, chapter um, 2, 2, 3, you can have it, you will see it come into fruition. The second agreement means that we won't take anything personally. Nothing that other people do is because of you. If someone comes into the classroom one day and they're just upset or they have energy, as we say, my students will say, Dr. Dyson, they have energy or she has energy. <laughs> like, what is energy? Nothing that others do is about you. Don't take anything personally. What people say and what they're navigating is their projection of their lives. And it's important for us to understand not to take it personally, professionally and personally, but also ensure that you don't allow people's opinions and thoughts that are prescribed to you to permeate you. When it goes back to your identities, especially those of us that have marginalized and historically oppressed identities, people say all types of things about us. They may say certain things about where certain people should be or where they are, are supposed to be. And this is how you don't take these things personally. You move these, you move on forward knowing who you are, being impeccable with your word and trusting where you want to go in this profession as you engage your heart work. 
The third agreement means don't make assumptions. Is anyone here guilty of making assumptions? No, right? <laughs> we don't make assumptions. We find the courage to ask the questions that we want to ask. If there is something that we want clarity about, go to the source for clarity. Professionally and personally, these agreements apply, but you don't make, you don't make assumptions. You want to communicate as clearly as possible. And in your work, um, in your field placements, in your service learning, in your internships, if there's something that you may not necessarily understand or don't agree with, ask questions, don't make assumptions. And likewise, never be um, rushed to make a decision. Oftentimes, some people will ask us a question on the spot and will require making a decision. It is completely okay to say, I'll get back with you on that. You know, allow me some time to reflect that before I give you a response. Or I'm known for saying, that's interesting. Let me think about that and get back with you. It's important not to rush decisions and not to rush judgments or make statements. And it's so, so, so important not to make assumptions about other people's actions, especially if you've not given yourself that time to kind of sit with it and process it the way you need to, to keep yourself comfortable and happy and balanced. And finally, and the last agreement is always do your best. When you know that you are always doing your best and you're putting your best foot forward, you will know that you, will, you can operate as healthy as possible because you have given your best. And it's important to note that Every day, our best might look a little bit different. Over the last three years, cannot believe we've been navigating this um, panini, if you will, for three years, but our best has looked differently. Right now, we have some people that their best might be getting up and just logging on Zoom. If that is their best, it's not for us to make assumptions about what's happening. It's not for us to take anything personally but it's for us to provide safe spaces to accept people for who they are because we want them to accept us for who they are and understand that people are always doing their best. It also means finding your tribe, who your people are, who are your influences, who are your mentors, who are your formal mentors as well as informal mentors. Um, if you have mentors that are assigned in your programs, or if you may go to your department chair or your advisor and ask for a mentor. Was there a mentor that, was, uh, that you heard speak today on this webinar? Or is there a mentor that you've seen at another place? Feel free to reach out to those people and those mentors, those, um, those people and prospective mentors to form those relationships. The worst they can say is not right now, they're too busy, their plates are full, or no, they cannot do it, which again, back to our four agreements, we don't take anything personally. We understand and we're impeccable with our word and we're not making any assumptions. And so again, those four agreements by Miguel Ruiz are things that I share with my students and my faculty. And I also share with my networks. And I believe that from a social work perspective, practice perspective across all practice levels, knowing these four agreements, knowing the importance of who you are, your identities, what you bring to rooms, what your hard work is, will ensure that you land in positions and dream jobs 
creating your village, your community of people that will always leave you feeling balanced, feeling grounded and feeling like you have yet to wake up to go to work because what you're doing every day is hard work. That concludes my presentation at this moment. Um, I will open this for questions and answers. Damien Drackett, what if your writings or goals are not aligning or not being achieved, what do you do then? So when your writings or your goals, I'm gonna stop the screen so that we could hopefully see each other. When your writings and your goals are not um, aligning, this is when, and this is why mentorship and being connected to other um, people that can be your accountability are helpful because your mentors or your support systems will sit down with you to figure out why are these goals not aligning? Why are, why am I not achieving them? Because when we look at why they're not aligning, is there something that we need to fix on from the resume aspect or even the interpersonal aspect? And so the alignment is so important. The alignment will help ensure you're able to meet those goals. It could be um, a situation of having more experience in a certain area or um, aligning to ensure that is this truly a goal that you um, are aspiring to do and what is it that is preventing it from happening? So this is one of the reasons I highly recommend, you know, connecting with mentors or people that are doing what you want to do goals that goal wise to help you get to those goals. The next question by Ashley, thank you, is what are some advice when we have a burnout? or advice to prepare students who will go into their job to prevent burnouts within social work. Burnout is one of the biggest things that happen in social work. Um, people burn out really quickly when they get in and they run real fast or they're kind of overloaded with things because of course people see social workers as the helper. I have people that work um, in different settings and it's always like, give it to social work. They'll make it happen. They will fix it. They'll you know take care of this. And so my advice to you um, with um, managing burnout, of course, is that um, that relationship with your supervisor at that position or that job. Now, that also means that the accountability will be on having communications with supervisors. If supervision is one of our values and ethics um, from the um, national standpoint, that social workers are given support and given supervision to um, give feedback. But let's say you talk to the supervisor and they're continuing to, you know, increase your burnout load. This is where you have to have, or I would encourage having conversations with mentors and other um, people that can help you strategize how to avoid burning out of a position. If it's in a job situation where there's a high caseload and you've communicated, this caseload is high, it's hard for me to manage this burnout, you know, those are additional conversations that may have to get escalated up, but it also goes back to the um, when I mentioned earlier about understanding when a certain space no longer serves you because your self-care and your balance is important. To this point, I highly recommend and I highly stress, and this is something that I've had to work on myself, make sure you're making space for you, whether that's taking a walk outside or in your home, engaging in a yoga practice or something that doesn't even cost money because we know that money is so tight right now. 
but your exercise in consuming water frequently to keep the body hydrated is so important for avoiding burnout because if you burn out by running on fumes putting out everyone else's fires without pouring into your body in your mind and your spirit and your balance it will affect how effective you're able to be likewise it also means the importance of getting proper rest in addition to those nutrients and so when people, um, so advice to students that might go into your jobs, establish a really good relationship with your supervisor um, initially. Also have people outside of your work that can be your um, mentor or your support to give you insight on how to navigate the politics of the job. Sometimes we have to engage different jobs and professions before we find the right fit, which goes back to why social work is such a wonderful um, profession because you're able to be flexible. I always tell new BSW graduates to give jobs at least two years to get the experience. A lot of people will run away from DCF. I always um, encourage students to run to DCF because if anyone has seen that you're able to work in child welfare, they understand that you've probably have been handed just about every type of situation that could be handled and that you're able to be flexible in other environments. So many people get their start there. Many people stay there because it becomes their heart work and they figure out how to navigate things and they have a wonderful supportive supervisor. And then there are others that may use it as a launching pad to get into the medical setting or into the justice setting or even into the policy um, and planning setting. Desiree Vera, so your question is, how do we know when we are overstepping in our position? Is it okay to walk away? If so, what should we do? What should we do so? All right, so in overstepping in our positions, so I believe that it's very, very important to always follow chain of command in terms of, you know, if you're having or encountering any challenge. So if you're having a challenge at work, always go to your direct supervisor and try to work things out with a direct supervisor. I can tell you as a current manager myself, um, some it's, it's, it's interesting. Remember I told you all that earlier, sometimes when you want to, you don't know what to say, what you need to say something, say it's interesting. <laughs> um, when people may bypass me and skip my dean, it'll go to like the provost or somewhere. You always want to give your supervisor the benefit of the doubt by speaking to them directly. We also acknowledge that there are certain circumstances where you're unable to do that. And so this is where you may have to escalate things. So at least start with your paper trail or communication to the direct supervisor with what's happening. However, that goes out, then follow the policies and procedures that are stated in your employee handbook about how to navigate different crises that may happen. Again, this is also where you speak with your, your mentors outside of work. So make sure you establish a mentoring network outside of work, um, outside of school, outside of organizations. I was a first-generation college student. I was born and raised in the county of Dade. So that's Miami for the, my Florida people. And I got to FAMU and I had no clue what to do. Like, what is this? You know, where am I going? A bookstore where financial aid where oh I have to sit and wait for like seven hours you know to do certain things and so but I also credit my experience at Florida A&M University 
with why I'm successful um, today is because I, I had people there and there's a, a, a certain culture at HBCUs where they wrap around, it's like wrap around services. They wrap around you and they ensure that you're going to be successful. We're seeing this culture now at all of our universities. St. Leo is known for having that culture of care there. And one of the things that I value about um, St. Leo University. So you are, are also in a very, very caring and supportive environment um, in the BSW program under the leadership of Dr. Perez. You, um, when you have that supportive network to talk to other people, you're able to help navigate when it looks like you're step overstepping a position or not to overstep positions and boundaries. When you walk, when you know, when it's time to walk away and is it okay to walk away? It is always okay to walk away. Walk away from anything that is not serving you. I remember having a position that as soon as I pulled into the parking lot, I immediately got a headache and that's the body's somatic response to stress. That's when I knew that it was time to walk away. When anything you're doing goes away from hard work and it becomes this hard work and it's stressful, it is time to walk away. When it's pulling you away from your family and for those of you that may um, have children or parents or family members that you care for, and you're not able to spend that time with your family, rejuvenating yourselves and having these memories, it's time to walk away because you should be able to have the balance um, as much as possible without feeling pulled or, or not being who you are. Now, this doesn't mean that it doesn't get rough sometimes. Um, I can tell you at certain parts of the semester, it has been very, very busy in our house and I'm married to another academic. And so, especially when it's the beginning of the semester or the end of the semester, it's crazy. So that's that ebb and flow that things get better. When you're in your positions, there will be those ebbs and flows. And so it's, it's okay, to under, okay to manage through those. But if it gets to where you are just flustered and it's not healthy, it's okay to walk away. And remember, you don't owe anyone any explanation when you're doing things that focus on you and your self-preservation. Audre Lorde said that our self-preservation is our radical self-care, that we have to take care of ourselves and choose ourselves first. The next question, it says, do you have any advice for sensitive future social workers. I'm an extremely emotional person and I'm worried about this interfering with my work. Emily, we could probably be twins. I am one of the most sensitive people and I used to could just cry at the drop of a dime. So I appreciate this question so much. My advice will be um, regarding sensitivities is that you um, know which which spaces or um, occupations that you're able to work in. So know what populations you can work with and what populations you cannot work with. There is nothing wrong with saying, I prefer this you know, target group of people. I cannot work with this group and that's okay because if you're gonna be doing work every day, then it's important to know that balance. I will share this personally. I was a person that said, this is when I was early on in my career, that I always wanted to work in child welfare, that I did not want to work in gerontology. And the irony is I, I'm currently chairing a, a department that has a gerontology program, but I always wanted to work with children. I didn't want to work with older adults or older folks. It wasn't until 
my grandfather down in Miami got sick and I had to assist with managing those conversations with the social worker at the hospital. And I got a newfound respect and appreciation for working in that, um, in that popular, that target community, target population. Having done all this child welfare work, seen some of the worst things that have happened at this time, I was employed for DCF in Leon County in Tallahassee, Florida. I could see child welfare and I could just kind of, you know, move through and make things happen. It wasn't until I began having my own children that now, even if I see things that come on the news, that it makes me very, very emotional that I just know that I could not do it um, at this point in my life. The point that I'm saying is that the advice for future social workers, number one, is knowing who your target community is that you're able to work with and remember our code of ethics and our values. Also, understanding the importance of balance. So you're um, managing emotions or managing, you know, different thoughts. Those conversations will happen in the um, care and support of your mentors. Many of us will go on to work with people that we've never worked with before. We may come from families that have said or raised us thinking certain things about certain people and certain target groups that we will now have to work with. In, the, in addition to the educational environment, navigating those conversations with trusted mentors, as well as doing your own work by attending webinars and attending, you know, continuing education opportunities to learn more about how to work with um, diverse people or people from historically oppressed communities will also help you. So that is how we will, inter we will interrupt that from interfering with your work. So, and please know that it's natural and it's very much okay, Emily, if that happens. When it happens, this is where, that's a space of growth where you will work with your um, mentor to navigate that. Aloha from the great state of Hawaii. I'm calling Florida today to congratulate the winners of the Levin Chuck Wilson Scholarship for the Bachelor of Social Work Program. I wish you the greatest success and this is just one of your achievements. My name is Sarah Marshall. I was one of the first members of a graduating BSW class approved by the Council of Social Work Education. Wanna guess what year? 1973. I think the Bachelor of Social Work is an excellent degree for anything you want to do in life. I often say that social workers are born and not necessarily educated, but the good ones will want to seek out that education that will help you in your mission to serve the people in society and to help everybody be able to self-actualize. So you'll want to know the theories and the skills that you can impart to your clients. I know you're going to have a successful career and I wish you all the best in your life. It's only going to get better. Hey everyone, this is Shimon from the podcast, Doing the Work. Just wanna shout out this amazing event. Congrats to all the scholarship recipients and to all of you who are going to be agents of social change and not agents of social control. Thanks for doing the work. Hi everyone, my name is Kate Whitrock and I teach in the education department at St. Leo University. I just wanted to give a shout out to the social work department and their influential women in social work event and say thank you for all the amazing work you're doing and you will continue to do. 
I hope you have a great event. Hello everyone and welcome to Influential Women of Social Work, the webinar provided to you by St. Leo University School of Social Work. And I personally, my name is Anna Nelson. I am a professor of social work here in New Mexico. Um, and I was very excited and very appreciative of this webinar and um, wanted to congratulate St. Leo University School of Social Work for putting on something so meaningful and important, especially during this period um, in our sociocultural history. And so I um, hail from New Mexico and want to thank the 23 tribes and pueblos uh, here in New Mexico, where I have the honor of being able to teach and work and support students um, and be a part of this important work. But I could not do it without the phenomenal Black, Indigenous, and women of color in social work. Um, so I wanted to uplift a few of the, the women who have inspired me over the years. So Ophelia Settle Egypt, um, Settle Egypt was known for uh, exposing the infamous Tuskegee study of syphilis on Black sharecroppers, and she was able to um, raise public awareness around this and eventually to have it stop. Um, so also Dr. Enabel was the first dean of Howard University School of Social Work. And when she retired, Dr. Lindsay was the only female university academic dean in Washington, D.C. A woman who I had the pleasure to know was uh, Chief Wilma Mankiller. So she was the first principal chief of the Cherokee Nation. She uh, facilitated the establishment of the Office of Indian Justice within the U United States Department of Justice. Thank you, Chief Wilma Mankiller. I also had the honor to know and appreciate uh, Dr. Evelyn Blanchard. And so Dr. Blanchard is a Laguna Yaqui social worker um, who comes from this area in New Mexico where I live. Uh, she's known as the mother of the Indian Child Welfare Act, and she has openly and actively criticized the culture of poverty theories for ignoring the U.S. government's role in destroying Indian family life. And so with that, I want you to really enjoy and engage in this dialogue today. I wish I could be there with you all. Um, and thank you for this opportunity. Greetings from Kingston, Jamaica. My name is Tadjua Riddell. I'm a student at the University of Technology, Jamaica, studying child and adolescent development. I congratulate you all on this event recognizing influential women of social work. Let's make a change for all communities to flourish. Bye. Hi, my name is Sashi Hargett and I'm a social worker and psychoanalyst out of New York. I wanted to take a moment to extend congratulations to the scholarship recipients today. What an achievement on your path towards your bachelor's of social work. You are studying now during a complex and challenging time in our history and social workers are needed now more than ever. Um, I hope this is the beginning of your academic and professional pursuits in social work. Um, a field that is growing in demand um, with so many options of how you might utilize your uh, education and your talent in the future. Um, so I want to take a moment to not only congratulate you, but welcome you to the field. What's going on y'all? This is Paul Anthony, the legendary. And on behalf of my dear life brother, Dr. Chuck Levin Wilson, I want to congratulate all the student social worker recipients of his wonderful scholarship award. It is well-deserved and know that the very best is yet to come. I look forward to meeting all of you real soon. God bless. There were several 
undergraduate social work students and community leaders who were recognized with both scholarships and awards at this great event. There were four winners of the Levin Chuck Wilson Scholarship. Megan Rowe, $1,000. Ann Chavez, $500. Natalie Vega, $500. And Alyssa Diallo, also $500. In addition, there were several NASW Nature Coast Chapter Award winners who were recognized. Social Worker of the Year, Sarah Shirina. Social Work Student of the Year, Brendan Burnsley. Public Citizen of the Year, Maria Santos. Rising to the Challenge Award, Feeding Tampa Bay. And last but certainly not least, Social Work Educator of the Year, Professor Christina Kazanov. To wrap up this episode, we will now hear from Dr. Ebony Perez, the chair of the undergraduate social work program here at St. Leo University, to provide us an overview of the numerous options within the Bachelor of Social Work program, as well as how students can also advance to the Master of Social Work program at St. Leo. So let's turn things over now to Dr. Ebony Perez. Dr. Perez. Okay, so now I would like to talk to you about not just the undergraduate social work program, but also some of the benefits of um, attending classes at our education centers and pretty much what your options are for the undergraduate social work program. So we do offer our social work program at three different locations. There is the University Campus Center, the main flagship location of St. Leo University. And then you also have the East Pasco Education Center, which has two options there. You can attend classes face-to-face in person at the Spring Hill campus location, which we are guests at the home of PHSC Pasco Hernando State College in Spring Hill, or you have what is called the blended hybrid option as well. And that program option, a student would attend classes weekly on Zoom live session. So if your class is scheduled for a Monday at five o'clock, you would log in from the convenience of your home, your work, Starbucks, wherever you're at in order to attend class. But then five Saturdays per semester, which you will know about at the beginning of the semester, exactly which Saturdays those are, you would spend your day all day on St. Leo University campus in San Antonio. The benefit of that program is you have that flexibility of being able to get off work or get your family settled, log into class and be able to then move forward within the program, but you still have that face-to-face interaction with your cohort and with your professors on those five Saturdays. The other location that we have is Tampa Education Center. And that Tampa Education Center is similar to Spring Hill. It is face-to-face in person, two days a week. 
So with our education centers, they both have the benefit of offering small class sizes. You have that flexible class schedule um, where you are meeting in the evenings, but you also have access to online classes. So if you have other general elective classes or if you have UEs that you need to take care of, you can do that via online. There's also the opportunity for advising with both of our education centers in addition to your faculty advisor. So there are a lot of benefits with those education centers, including that they are rooted in the community. So our Tampa Education Center is located in that Ebor area. When we think about the program benefits um, with regards to the BSW, there are a number of options or kind of things we need to consider. First of all, our program is accredited and we have been since 1983 by the Council on Social Work Education. We've held continuous accreditation and just last year successfully were re-accredited by CSWE. The other thing is that we operate on a model where students who earn their bachelor's in social work and they do well in their classes, meaning a B plus or better in all of your social work classes, then you can earn your MSW in one year. So if you are a traditional student and you're just coming out of high school, you have no college credits or you just have a few credits through dual enrollment or AP classes and you're coming to the university campus, that makes it what we call a four plus one model. You finish your undergraduate degree in four years and then in that one year, you're able to then go in and earn your master's degree. If you are transferring into our program and you've earned an AA degree or an AS degree, then that would make it a two plus one model. So you would finish your BSW program within a two year period and then again, one year for that MSW degree. That means you're saving yourself a year of time and money by earning your bachelor's degree in social work as opposed to a degree in another discipline and then trying to earn your degree in social work. Also, another one of our benefits is that we operate in cohorts and we use a sequential learning style, which means that you're going to be with that same group of people from the moment that you come into the program. And what we find is that our students then really work together and they rely on each other and are really a support and additional support to helping you get through the program. And each of our courses also builds on the previous course, which then that provides you the opportunity to learn the material, to practice it, and then as you're going through, be able to show expertise in those particular skills and in that knowledge base that you have. With our education centers, we also offer a flexible class center with your classes being held in the evenings. And that then allows Many of our students who are in our education centers, they are working full time, they have families at home, but because of the way that the program is built where you're only coming into your social work classes two days a week and the classes are in the evening, it makes it very, very obtainable for you to come in. 
And for our students who are coming to the university campus, once you enter into your core classes, your social work classes will be two days a week as well, typically on um, Tuesdays and Thursdays on the university campus. So those are some of the highlights and the benefits of earning your BSW degree and being able to come into our program. And again, you do well, you're saving yourself a year of time and money by being able to earn that master's degree in social work within one year. To hear more episodes of the St. Leo 360 podcast, visit stleo.edu forward slash podcast. To learn more about St. Leo's programs and services, call 877-622-2009 or visit stleo.edu.